Turning to John chapter 6, that would be a good idea. That's where we're going to be. We're going to read uh, from John chapter 6, uh, verses 1 uh, to 15, as we carry on our journey through John's gospel. Uh, we're going to come to what uh, is sometimes known as the fourth sign uh, it's recorded in John's Gospel. Obviously, before this, we've seen water turned into wine. Back in chapter 2, Jesus uh, turning the water into wine. We've seen uh, that official who came to Jesus and, and asked him to he come, come with me and come and heal my son. And Jesus said, go, your son will be well. We see the son healed. We've seen uh, Jesus, in a sense, more openly healing uh, the paralyzed man by the pool. And now... As you'll see, if your Bible is anything like mine, you'll see the title straight there, that Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's what we're going to look at today. So John chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than, a, than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Okay, well, if we look at these verses today, immediately we can see this is an amazing miracle. This is an incredible event, an incredible thing that happens where Jesus is trying to get away by himself with his disciples, but the crowd are following, and suddenly from virtually nothing, Jesus feeds the entire crowd. 5,000 men, it says, people have debated about, well, how many women and children were there as well? How big was this crowd overall? Was it was it just a bit bigger than 5,000? Was it 10,000? Was it 20,000 even people? Massive crowd of people out there. And Jesus, what he has to work with, I don't know exactly what he had to work with, but we're told there were five loaves of barley bread. Well, I've got five bread cakes. If 
five little bread cakes from Sainsbury's, and two small fish. Well, I've got a tin of mackerel fillets. I don't know exactly how many are in the tin, but we can imagine something of the scale of what, what that little boy brought. And Andrew goes, oh, yeah, this little boy's got some food. Well, here we are. I'll leave them there for now. You can probably see them. And 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people are fed. An incredible, amazing miracle seen by thousands of people. In that sense, a bit different to the previous miracles that we've seen, where, well, everyone got wine at the wedding, but they didn't really realise that Jesus had done anything. The official son got healed, but really it was only his family that knew what had happened. Get this bag out of the way. Thank you, bless Anne. And, um, and then I guess a few more people found out, could see what had happened at the pool. It was a bit more open. They'd seen this man healed, and obviously then the, uh, the Jewish leaders are a little bit, hang on, what's going on here? But now thousands of people are seeing, look what Jesus has done. But again, we're going to ask similar questions today. What do we see of Jesus in this story? And therefore, how do we respond? An incredible miracle, but what do we see of Jesus? So we'll start there. What do we see of Jesus? And I'm going to tell us three things I think we see from these verses. Firstly, we see Jesus' compassionate care. Jesus sees the crowd and he feeds them. Jesus sees this crowd and he has compassion on them. If we look in the other Gospels, this is one of those stories that actually, one of the few of the big miracles that's actually recorded in all of the four Gospels. But if we see, if you turn, for example, to Matthew or to Mark, uh, you'll see Jesus showing his compassion, very explicitly saying Jesus had compassion on the crowd and he, he healed their sick and he te taught them. John cut straight to the chase. Jesus fed them. But we see this compassion that Jesus is showing. John alludes to the fact they're following because they've seen him healing people. They want to be near him. They've, they've seen his compassion. And Jesus sees them and feeds them. And we see Jesus' compassion being shown at what isn't really a very convenient time. What does, how does John start this? Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that's the Sea of Tiberias, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Jesus trying to get away with his disciples. The other, again, the other, the other Gospels will, will allude to the fact, look, John the Baptist has just, uh, just been killed. The disciples have just been sent out in pairs and they've gone out on, on praying for people and preaching the gospel and they've come back and they're tired. And Jesus is saying, right, let's get away. Let's get up on the mountain ourselves. Let's go up. Let's sit down and rest. Have some rest. Let's process the fact that John's just been killed. But the crowd are following. It's not convenient. It's not a convenient time. And yet Jesus says, let's feed them. Let's feed them. 
It's not a convenient time, but Jesus is always doing what he sees his father doing. Jesus is always looking to do the will of the father. And for us, we see in this, in the midst of Jesus' compassionate care, Jesus is always there. He always hears us. We can recognize his faithfulness, his nearness, his availability, his compassion for us. As the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 4, let us come before his throne of grace with confidence. He hears us, he's there, there's mercy for us. And as we see Jesus' response, let's be ready to respond to God's call to be compassionate to love our neighbour as ourselves as we start our meetings so often. It may not always be convenient. But I guess the wrong implication we could take of that is, right, I'm looking at Jesus, well, therefore, what the right thing for me to do is always right for me to step in. It's always right for me to be the answer. I've got to be ready at any moment, any time, never, never, never get any rest, never do anything. I've just got to do it. Actually, no. Firstly, because we're not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And secondly, actually, there's discernment needed still. There's hearing God. There's knowing the right response. It's all still important. We see Jesus respond in different ways. Jesus here, in an inconvenient time, steps out and says, you know what, we're going to feed them. Yes, I'm going to teach you again. I'm going to heal you. We're going we're to do all sorts of things. If you compare that with Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus, Jesus is hearing the Father. Jesus is listening to what his Father is saying. In Mark chapter 1, in verse 35, just as a contrast, Jesus had been healing many people, but then very early in the morning, Mark, Mark 1 verse 35, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I have come. Jesus recognises the Father's voice. Jesus recognised this isn't the time to step in here. This is the time to move on. This is the time actually to get some rest. We need to be aware. But we see Jesus' compassion here. We see his compassion for this crowd even at an inconvenient time. Jesus is going to provide for these people. And even as he does so, we see his compassion, actually, if we, look, if we think about it, for the disciples. Jesus invites them in. In a sense, it's not a very nice question on the surface that Philip gets. Philip, where can we buy enough food for these guys to eat? What? But we hear Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And we get the words, he did this to test them, but actually that has that sense of, he did it to teach them, to show them, to invite them, to, to see what is going on. Jesus invites Philip into the, into the equation. He says, come, in a sense, come and see what I'm going to do. Come and see what I'm going to do. He could have just done it, but he invites them in. Jesus is we see Jesus' compassionate care for the crowd and for his disciples. But we also see, fairly obviously, his powerful provision. Now we'll focus a bit more on Philip and Andrew and the other disciples in a bit. 
But as we look at their responses, we see the magnitude of the problem. Verse 7. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Okay, so multiply that up a bit. We're talking, this is a massive problem. Even if they have the shop to go to or the farmer to go to to get to be able to spend all that money, this is massive. And then Andrew seems to go, well, this is what we've got. I'm not sure that bag's going to hold out. This is what we've got. It's not going to go very far. We see the magnitude of the problem. Yet Jesus takes this and feeds them all. They all sit down on the grass. And then in verse 11. I love this. I love John's understatement here. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. This is incredible. In these few very simple words, this incredible miracle happens. Oh, and not missing out, he did the same with the fish. This incredible miracle happens. Jesus is so simply reported by John. In one sense, you can imagine John thinking, what else can I write? In some ways, it's interesting what John doesn't say. Matthew, Mark and Luke all mention the fact that Jesus distributed the food to his disciples and they had to go and give it out. In one sense, John just, well, leave us all out. Actually, look, look what Jesus does. I'm not even going to distract by saying how it was done. It was like, look... He distributed that small amount of food to all those people. This is Jesus. This is his provision. Just utterly saying in those few words, look what he provided. Now, looking back at it all these years later, we think, John, can't you give us a little bit more detail? What happened? Did the food multiply in his hands? Did, did it keep reappearing in your hands as you gave it out? Did, what, what was it? Did, he, did a mountain of food suddenly appear? But this is the point. We can't understand it. We can't know what, what on earth happened here, but Jesus did it. He is the powerful provider. He's the one who can do all things. You can almost hear John saying, what can I say? This is what happened. He distributed it. Everyone had enough. This is what we started with. That was it. So we see Jesus, the powerful provider, the one who out of, out of absolutely nothing could cause everything to come into being and out of a tiny amount could feed a multitude. Jesus, the powerful provider, and if that wasn't abundant enough, we see, thirdly, amazing abundance. Verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them 
and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets left over. Perhaps you could imagine each of the disciples, each with a basket, going around, collecting up and finding, I've got a full basket of food. I don't know how big the baskets were either, but they've got a basket. It's a basket of some size. Even if, even if it was a tiny basket, man, they've got 12 of them. Collecting up, thinking, what, didn't we start with five loaves and two fish between all of us? Everyone's had enough to eat, and now we've got 12 baskets. We've got a, a multitude more food at the end than we started with. And everyone's eaten their fill. In one sense, we can look at this detail, and actually we can say, right, to any skeptics out there, don't be fooled. See, a skeptic might say, well, somehow there was some hallucination trick going on, or some kind of... Hypno hypnosis or something, everyone took the tiniest little fragment of food and felt satisfied somehow. Some kind of weird thing going on. No, look at the baskets of food that are left. They're here. It's not, everyone's not being fooled into thinking they're full somehow. Look at this. They've all eaten everything they wanted to, and yet from this tiny amount, we now have this massive amount left over. And we see in this the glorious abundance of God. God providing not just enough, but more than enough. Abundantly more than enough. You could have argued, well, just give everyone enough so they, well, it'll tide them over and we might just stretch it out. Everyone eats their fill. And there's all this left over. This is the abundant God. This is Jesus. This is who he is. The one who can provide more than we need. Not just enough to somehow survive and somehow stretch a limited amount to go a long way, to last longer than expected, but Jesus who can in a moment break in and provide an abundance to the extent of them having abundantly more when they finished than when they started. This is Jesus. We see his compassionate care. We see his powerful provision. We see amazing abundance. So how do we respond? Well, let's see how people respond here. We see Philip and Andrew. And in fact, Almost by implication, we see the rest of the disciples as well. Let's jump into the middle of the story. And again, let's take that detail from the other Gospels. Jesus divides up the five loaves and gives it to his disciples. Now, can I have... Let's not go with 12. Let's just go with five. I've got five, five bread cakes. So, does anyone want to volunteer? You'll get a bread cake out of it. Andrew does. Fine. I can see a hand up over there, Elliot. Uh, Anna, you can come as well. I'm, I'm in danger of favouring my own children, but I'm usually in the danger of going the other way, so I'm going to do it today. Uh, go on, Eloise. Are you wanting to come? I can see a hand. Do you want to come up? 
No, that's fine. Anyone else? We've got Gareth. I won't, I won't put any verses in this bit, Gareth. It's all right. Great. We've got five of you on. So, now obviously you're going to get, assuming this is the size of the bread that they had. Now, I don't know what kind of bread. This, this was a little boy's lunch. He had five loaves. He probably had a bit less than that. But you never know. Jesus had to divide it between 12. I'm only dividing it between five. Here we go. We'll go with this. Right. Okay, imagine I've got my five disciples with their bread. Now, imagine what Jesus is saying is, right, you go and give it to the crowd. Now, I reckon there's probably 250 people. We'll go with 250. It could be 300 in the room, I don't know. 250 people here. So, in fact, take your roll and give it to everyone so they've got enough twice. How do you think you're... Where, do, where are we at? This is, this is pretty... This could feel a bit scary. This is... The, the disciples are a bit out on a limb in faith here. Do you think... How far do you think you would get giving people enough to eat? If you just had that roll, bread cake, bap, cob, something. Do, you reckon you get to the third row and everyone would have enough to eat? Okay, well... I think, I think we're slightly almost going into that realm of people being fooled into thinking they've had enough to eat already. But you're in this place. Jesus has divided up the bread and says, you go and take it to them. You guys can go and sit down. Don't worry. You can take your bread, your bread cakes with you. These guys are kind of out on a limb in faith. Go and take it. In the natural, this is absolutely absurd. In the natural, what am I going to do with this probably half a bread cake? Little tiny bit of bread cake. Maybe it's multiplied a bit. I don't know what's happened at this point. But they're in that place. Okay, Jesus, we're trusting you. If you don't do something now, we're going to look really stupid. But we'll go and do it. We see the disciples responding, okay, Jesus, we're going to go and take it. I don't know, I, I can't even imagine how, how do you do it? Oh, does it keep growing in your hand? I don't know. But they're in this place of, okay, Jesus, and if you don't break in here, nothing happens. If you don't break in here, everyone's going to go, what are you doing? If you don't break in here, we're just going to be stood with a tiny piece of bread going, do you want something to eat? But they obey. They obey. The bread gets distributed. I'm not going to do the same with the fish. You'll be happy to know. The bread gets distributed and everyone has enough. We don't know exactly how, but we can kind of imagine them walking up to the different groups of people with this little bit of food and thinking, what's going to happen now? Yet they take that step of faith. They take that step of faith. They step out needing God to break in. There's nothing they can do. And yet, what do they see? An amazing miracle. So how do we respond? Jesus is calling them in the story and he's calling us now to trust him to believe him, to believe the fact he is the one who provides. He is the one who can do that 
with a tiny amount of bread. He's the one who can multiply it to feed a multitude. He calls us to be in that place of, you know what, I don't have enough. I haven't got very much to give. I can't do this on my own. But, Jesus, you're with me and you can. You can do immeasurably more than anything I'm going to ask. You see, because Philip has understood the size of the problem. You see, trying to work out this kind of problem in the natural, it's overwhelming, it's scary. But God can and he will lead us into places like that. Because this is the place of faith. This is the place of trusting God. It's only in your strength that this can happen. It's only in your power that this can even work out. It's only if you break in here that this can work out for good. And like Philip, we're not to close our eyes and ignore the situation. I can't see the crowd. I'm sure there must be some food here somewhere that can make this work. We read Paul's words in Romans 4.19 that Abraham faced the facts. I'm going to go there so I don't... We hear of Abraham. He didn't ignore the fact that he was really old and Sarah was really old and that she was beyond the point of bearing children and God had said... You're going to have a child. But in Romans 4, 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But that's the key point. You see, like Abraham, Abraham faced the fact, but without weakening in his faith. God calls us, in a sense, like Philip, to see the size of the problem. But he calls us to respond in faith. Like the disciples must have done as they take, took the food to the crowd. And then we see that Andrew spoke up. I'm not sure what Andrew's thinking at this moment. Here's a boy with something. It's not much, but it is something. You see immediately, Andrew... His response, he recognises their lack. Interestingly, as an aside, this, this boy is, is mentioned specifically and only here by John. In one sense, we can pick up on this. Here's one who would have been seen as really unimportant, just part of the crowds. A young lad who's got a lunch with him. But he brings what he has. Andrew somehow gets hold of it. And he's involved. Andrew recognises we don't have enough in and of ourselves. And in one sense, Andrew's declaration probably is this. Look, we don't have anywhere near enough food. But perhaps there's a step of faith here too. It'd be really tempting to keep quiet. Look, mentioning this is just embarrassing. I've got five little bits of bread and two fish. We're talking about feeding a multitude. I'll just not say anything. Are we tempted to do that? Tempted to say, no, I haven't got anything here. I haven't got anything I can bring. I haven't got anything that I can share. But Andrew speaks up. Don't know everything that's going around his head, but there's something, maybe just this 
snippet of faith that says, I'll just say it. And we'll see what Jesus does. You know, it's tempting to keep quiet. Out of fear? Perhaps out of embarrassment. What? What are you talking about, Andrew? You've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Shut up. We're dealing about a big issue here. Tempting to keep quiet. It's easy to understand, perhaps, in terms of a contribution, perhaps, on a Sunday morning. And it's amazing to hear what people have brought this morning, just saying, actually, I'm, and actually in several cases saying, actually, I'm quite nervous about what I'm saying here, but I'm, this is what I feel God's saying. Well, this is what God's brought me to bring. This is hard to understand, but... It's so tempting to keep quiet. It's so tempting to think, that's just me. So tempting to think, what's the point? It's nothing. It's not worth trying. It's not worth even mentioning. Me and Nikki were able to meet, uh, had a great time meeting with a couple this week who shall remain anonymous. Uh, but, but just a great time chatting together. They were expressing the sense that they felt God might be calling them into something. But recognising this, very similar to Philip and Andrew, we don't have what we need. We don't feel like we've got that much to give. We, don't, we feel like there's all sorts of reasons why this might be a bad idea. And yet God's prompting. God's prodding, so I don't think I can stay quiet. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to have the conversation. I'm going to, I'm going to say this is what we've got. So tempting in the face of the size of the problem or the, the size of the obstacles or, the, or, the, or the, all the good, sensible reasons why really this isn't where we should be going at the moment to just go, I'm just going to keep quiet. Well, like Andrew, let's speak up. Let's talk to someone. Let's bring what we're feeling God's got to bring. Come and talk to someone at the front of a meeting if it's a contribution. Let's just go, let's just work this out. Don't stay quiet. We see the response that Jesus is calling for. Jesus calls the disciples and us to trust him, to trust the compassionate, abundant provider. So in one sense, that is our response. We trust him. Let's not be scared to speak up. Let's face the facts, but let's step out in faith. But feel there's a little bit more here. And we see that as we see the crowd's response. And maybe as we do that, we just kind of leads us into seeing something else about Jesus and about how, what our response should be like. In verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come to the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You see, as we see the crowd's response, we can recognize something else. In one sense, the crowd is positively recognizing Jesus' power and authority. They can see, look, this is someone special. This is someone with great authority. As they say, surely this is the one, the prophet, 
who's come into the world, the, the prophet like Moses, who they were expecting. Perhaps they're seeing this direct parallel. Well, as, we went, as our ancestors went through the wilderness, when Moses was leading the people, manna came from heaven. Bread was provided day by day by day by day. And yet, look at us here on the mountaintop. Jesus has provided bread. And he's healing the sick. And he's teaching us. And all of this stuff. Positively, they're recognizing this is a special guy. Maybe this is the one who's come from God. And yet, they miss the point. They want to make him king by force. Jesus recognizes it, and so he slips away. They see the sign, and they think they know the answer. Here's the answer. Jesus should rule the nation. He should sort out the Romans. He should exercise this amazing power that can turn five loaves into a million. A million? I don't know how many loaves they needed. 10,000. Let's go with that. Put him in charge of the nation here on earth. That's the answer. That's what we should be doing. That's it. Let's do it now. Job done. But the point is they miss who Jesus really is and why he's really come. Jesus is the answer. He's not an answer. He's not just one option or some provider who can kind of magic up some bread on occasion, but he's the great provider. He's not one source of answers or provision. He is the source of answers and provision. He's not just some great miracle worker who can kind of on demand or on occasion up on a mountaintop transform a few bits of bread into lots of bread. Which wonderfully for a day will fill your belly and you'll be kind of content. But he is the one who will provide all that you need to really sustain you. Jesus is so much more. You see, John slipped in this seemingly throwaway comment. Back in verse 4, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Which we'll see, it's actually important. Now, now that may well have influenced their thinking. They're thinking ahead towards Passover. And then there's this guy who's providing bread. Well, we think about Passover. Yeah, well, we came out of Egypt and then Moses provided the bread. Yeah. But Passover speaks of so much more when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is providing bread that will fill their, that will fill their bellies. But Jesus is the one who, through what he's going to do, is going to provide and sustain and do so much more than a bit of bread is going to do. He's not just the provider of bread, but the very Passover lamb. Yes, the prophet like Moses who was to come, but he's also the lamb in the story. The sacrifice who, who will bring forgiveness at the cross, who will genuinely and ultimately sustain and satisfy. It's so important as we respond to trust him that we really know him. Yes, as the one who can miraculously provide in an instant, who can transform things in an instant, who can do amazing things and we just go, look, there's a miracle. 
but also the one who ultimately sustains and upholds all things. The one who provides for all our needs. The one who calls us to trust him with our lives. We won't look there now, but you could look back in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 onwards, where Jesus starts talking about instructing people, don't worry. Do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Look at the birds. Look at the, look at the flowers. Don't you see how your Heavenly Father clothes them and feeds them? How much more will he look after you? Jesus is calling us to trust him with everything, with all our lives. He's ultimately the one who sustains and upholds all things, the one who provides for all our needs, including our deepest need of all. Forgiveness of sin, restored relationship with God. Because that's who he's revealing himself to be. The one who, as he's going to go on, and I won't steal Kieran's sermon in a two weeks' time, is going to go on to talk about being the bread of life, the very bread of life. Not, the one, not just the one who provides some bread, but the one who is the bread of life, the one who sustains, the one who is everything we need. He's the one who calls us to lay our lives down and follow him. Not the one who just calls us to trust him to be a 24-hour miracle helpline. He's Lord. He's King. He's the one who's over all. You see, what Jesus is doing, particularly for his disciples and for us, is showing them and us, I am what you need. I am everything you need. Trust me, follow me. So therefore today, how do we respond? Let's trust this Jesus, our wonderful saviour, the one who can do incredible things like this, but the one who ultimately sustains and upholds all things. And let's adventure with him. Again, we can put too much stock in the beginning of a year or whatever else and wonderfully helped by what Andrew brought just before. But nevertheless, at the start of the year, let's adventure with him this year. Let's trust him with everything. Let's be willing to be living in that place of faith, knowing that he is with us, to step out with hearts of compassion beyond our natural means, perhaps. Beyond what we believe we can manage as we hear him prompting. To be in that place, well, if God doesn't do something now, it's not going to happen. That's the place of faith. As individuals and as a church, and let's see what the sustainer of all things, the provider who can provide in abundant ways, the God who is in control of all and who is with us by his spirit. Let's see what he will do as we go through the coming weeks and months. Amen. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing as we respond.